reminds me in this teaching of a little bit of the problem I had when I was a freshman in college. Uh, unlike high school, you know, the teachers would come in and lay out the work for you for the semester, and I thought, my goodness, three months, that's a long time. I can get anything done by then. And so in the afternoons, I'd go out and play ball and whatever. And before you know it, it'd be the end of the semester, and I'd be in trouble because I'd put things off. But we are, we've got, I think, four Sundays left. Today we're going to deal with chapter 15 in Acts, and next week we'll deal with the, th the second missionary journey, the following week, third missionary journey. The last week we'll kind of finish things up, uh, talking about his prison years and that sort of thing. And probably next week we'll go ahead and start introducing uh, the, the, some of the epistles, when and where they were written, and that sort of thing. We, I'm, I'm, it's looking like we may not have a, uh, enough time to say a whole lot about the epistles and what they were about and so forth. We've, we've intimated that a little bit in some of the things we've already said, and we'll do that even, even more today. But open your Bibles to the 15th chapter. Uh, that's where we'll spend our time today. I will uh, refer back just briefly to the closing verses of chapter 14, where it tells about how that after they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia and then sailed to from thence they sailed to Antioch. That would be now Antioch of Syria, uh, from whence they had been committed to the grace of God for the work which they were to do, which they had done. And they rehearsed with the brethren there all that, I like this expression, all things that God had done with them. It's not, it's not about what we do. It's about what God does with us, through us, and that sort of thing. And so... Uh, and then they tarried no little time with the disciples uh, there at Antioch. Uh, so uh, just how long they had been gone, uh, you know, we said if you, if you look back at your chart, we, we suggested that this first missionary journey occurred probably between the years 45 and 49, just which of those years and how many of those years, we don't know exactly. Probably three or four years involved in the, in the, uh, the first uh, missionary journey. We do know, uh, as I think I've already told you, the uh, Paul's second visit to Jerusalem uh, after his conversion, uh, when he and Barnabas working there in Antioch, and when the uh, uh, famine which had been prophesied occurred, uh, they took relief that had been gathered there down to brethren in Judea. And we can pretty well date that uh, close to the uh, 44 AD because the scriptures say that it occurred during the reign of Claudius Caesar, who took office in 41, AD 41. Now, the various historians of that day are, differ a little bit on what year in his reign. Some say it, it occurred or start, in the second year of his reign. Others say it was in the fourth year of his reign. Uh, and, and the truth of the matter is, both could be kind of right because the famine likely, you know, persisted for some period of time. But so uh, 44 AD would be a ballpark kind of uh, figure, a date for when they made the, the second trip to Jerusalem carrying the, uh, 
the relief. And then, of course, they returned um, to um, Antioch after that and, uh, and stayed for still um, uh, more, more time. Um, how long they stayed in Antioch of Syria after returning from the first missionary journey, again, is we can't be certain, but likely some two, maybe two and a half or three, three years. But during this interim, during this stay at Antioch, where they, I'm sure, continued the work that they had done prior to their first visit, this was a very dynamic church, as we would say today, active church, they were growing and going, and uh, I'm sure that Paul and Barnabas fell into that same mode again upon, upon returning. But during that stay, between returning from their first missionary journey and leaving for their second missionary journey, what is recorded in chapter 15 of the book of Acts occurred. So I want us to look at this today. This is, this is pretty important as I think uh, you have already seen if you've read this chapter, and as we'll note today as we go through it. Let's read a few verses to introduce it. Verse 1, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, saying, Except ye be circumcised after the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, and questioning with them the brethren appointed uh, that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. They therefore, being brought on their way by the church, passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Now this is the first mention of the this great controversy that would uh, be a problem for the early church for a long period of time. By the way, lest I forget, these brethren or some like them of the same persuasion would later go into the regions of Galatia and it would cause the writing of the letter to the Galatians because this is the principal issue that is dealt with uh, in, in that letter as well. And so while some resolution is made to this, as we'll mention as we go on, while brethren whose hearts were such to receive the truth when they clearly, when the truth was clearly demonstrated, would accept it and it would be no longer a problem, many held on to this idea and continued to agitate. And so, but this is the first mention of it. And, and what's at question is this, whether Christianity was merely a development uh, uh, or a culmination or a kind of continuation of Judaism or whether it was a new dispensation that had supplanted the old and had taken its place. And of course, that's the truth of it. But some were wanting to hold on to it. And so, at first, um, the Christians in, the, in Jerusalem and, and Judea 
remained Jews. I mean, not merely Jewish in flesh, but they, they did, as you no doubt know, continued, even those who had accepted the gospel, continued for some time, many of them, to observe various aspects of the ceremonial law. Paul would even do that to a degree. Uh, you, you remember on one, on one occasion, he, um, we'll see today that he didn't have Titus circumcised because, uh, you know, because he wouldn't submit to those who were saying you had to be circumcised to be saved. But on the other hand, he did have Timothy circumcised. And uh, on other occasions, he would do various things that were related to certain aspects of the ceremonial law Seemingly to do what he said in 1 Corinthians 9 he wanted to do, to become all things to all men that by all means he might what? Win the most. And so uh, the, the certain, there, would, there was no harm in, in continuing. These people had what? They had centuries upon centuries of observing the law of Moses. And it's something you just don't turn off. you know. And no problem... No problem even with circumcision until you do what? Until you start making it a matter of salvation. And so these people were saying, except you be circumcised, you cannot be saved. So they continued, especially up until the time of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, many of them to be involved in some ways with uh, even the, uh, even the, uh, the apostles, apparently, in the very beginning. Um, had the idea that uh, Gentiles might become Christians, but first they need to be sacrificed. How do we know that? Well, let's go back to Peter. You remember chapter 10 of the book of Acts, when Peter, when this uh, great sheet, all that occurred, and we've we got to think about time this morning, so I've got to keep moving, can't get off too much, but all that happened uh, to Peter to convince him, first of all, that he needed to go down and, 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 and speak with those uh, in Cor- uh, Cornelius and those of his household. And then when he got there, he was amazed that he was uh, to baptize these uncircumcised Gentiles. And so even the apostles for, for a time uh, apparently uh, had this... Uh, uh, had this uh, this idea, but uh, Peter did go down there, and 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 he did baptize Cornelius and his household, uncircumcised. Went back to Jerusalem. Brethren called him on the carpet, so to speak, and he and those who had gone with him spoke to him, explained what happened, and how that the Lord um, uh, had shown His approval by, for one thing, by giving them the Holy Spirit as He had given it to us in the beginning, referring to the outpouring of the Spirit in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day, Acts, Acts chapter 2. Um, and so, then came the formation of the church in Antioch of Syria. Uh, uh, and, and Barnabas was sent up there, you remember, by brethren in Jerusalem. He goes to Tarsus and gets... Uh, Saul, and brings him back to help him in that work, and that that church is growing, Gentiles are obeying the gospel, and it's at this point that some of these 
who believed that unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved, came up from Jerusalem. And they caused this disturbance, saying that you've got to be uh, 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 circumcised in order to, to be saved. Well, this caused no small dissension, the Scripture says. Um, this, uh, and this was a serious matter. And so Barnabas and Paul um, contended with them. They had to because this had the potential of causing a, a tremendous rift in the church. And uh, uh, so they contended. And, and by the way, it, it would cause problems. Even though many would see the truth, there in Antioch, it, it appears to me from what is said here that that, that the church in Antioch, after listening to Paul and Barnabas uh, contending with them, were satisfied that Paul and Barnabas, in whom they had had all this confidence all the while, were exactly right. But there was still the question of why were these brethren... It, 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 it appears that perhaps these brethren were, in, were implying that they had come with authority from Jerusalem, or kind of implying that, that what they were contending was accepted by maybe the apostles and, and elders in Jerusalem. And so there was this question, we need to settle this. There needs to be union. And so uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas and some others were, were chosen to go to Jerusalem to discuss this issue. By the way, in Galatians 2, a brethren who held this view are called false brethren. And so even though Paul and Barnabas do a good job of contending with them here, and, and, do, and when they go to Jerusalem, they do a good job there in unity among the elders and apostles and Paul and Barnabas and all those who had gone with them, there were still some who held on to this, and it would be a problem in the church uh, uh, that, that Paul would face over and over again. So he goes to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas. Now, the Galatian letter tells us that he went there by revelation. Here, we're told that he, that he was sent. Uh, it was appointed by the church in Antioch. That's not a conflict. That Both are, can be correct. Uh, he, it, both. They, they asked him to go and encouraged him to go. And, and by revelation, he was encouraged as well to go. And so uh, they go down to uh, Jerusalem. It's important to understand that he did not go to Jerusalem to receive instruction from the apostles there in regard to his own work or to be confirmed by them in his apostolic office. He was fully an apostle. We've already talked about that. All the signs of an apostle, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, were wrought by me. And he, he had done that on his first missionary journey in striking uh, uh, Elamus blind and, and, and many other signs and wonders they did during that uh, missionary effort. So he had demonstrated his apostleship fully. So he didn't go there to, just to check to see if maybe he was right or to get their confirmation but he went there to, to, as I said, submit this, to, to have a discussion concerning this issue and have it... See, here was a church in, in Antioch 
uh, a Gentile church for the most part. Some from Jerusalem had come bringing this and, and disturbing them. Paul and Barnabas contended with them. But there was a need to go back and visit with the brethren from which these had come and see if we can't get this, this thing settled. This made, made good sense to do that. And so this conference or this meeting was, uh, was, uh, was held. Um, let's see. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and the apostles and the elders, and they rehearsed all things that God had done to them. Uh, at this time, of the original apostles, there were, what, 11 left. James, uh, the first martyr, had already been put to death. And so there were 11 of the original 12. Uh, then there was James, the Lord's brother, who's referred to as an apostle, who on occasion, as Barnabas is, but they were not apostles in the sense of the original apostles appointed by Christ, but messengers of Christ. And apparently many uh, bore that title, but there was a distinction. Um, they were cordially received by the church. And as soon as they got there, verses 5 and 6, but there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, saying, it is needful to, circum, uh, to circumcise them and to charge them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider of this matter. You know something that's interesting to me? Have you thought about this? Here are these, and, and primarily of the sect of the Pharisees, which was Paul's, you know, that's what Paul was prior to his becoming a Christian. But here are people who had accepted Christ, obeyed the gospel, and in doing that, you, they accepted Christ accepted the fact that he was the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. So they went that far, but they would not turn loose of their belief in the law of Moses, and primarily the ceremonial law, and in keeping that. That had been their, that, you know, that, that's who they were. That's how they, they, had, they had misunderstood the purpose of the law. They considered it a thing by which they could be saved, but never been given for that purpose. Paul tells us in Galatians 3, it was, the law was given as a schoolmaster, a tutor, to bring us to Christ. And uh, yet they were placed... But they had done that all their lives, and, 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 and they, they based their devoutness uh, is the best, best word, which is not a good word to, to, that comes to me. On, on that, um, you know, the only salvation offered by the law would be what? If you kept it perfectly. One sin and you're dead. It's not like this idea that some even have today, you know, that I remember reading, well, I won't go into that. Um, uh, Somehow the idea, you know, you sin and you sin and God keeps up with it until finally you commit that sin that like the proverbial 
straw breaks the camel's back, and God says, that's it, I'm done with you, you're out of here. No. Legally speaking, God is, God is such, His nature is such, sin is such, He cannot abide sin. Legally speaking, the first time we sin after reaching what we refer to as the age of accountability, Paul refers to it as that time when God imputes sin to us. So at the point in life when, when, God, we, when God imputes it, the first time we're dead. Paul said the wage of sin is, is dead. But they thought, you know, I'm a good guy. Let me show you how. Look how large my phylactery is. Look how broad the borders of my garment are upon which kinds of things they would put. They, they would pick out certain things in the law. They would tithe mint, anise, and uh, what was the third one? Cumin. <laughs> Cumin. Uh, little garden herbs, you know. Very meticulous. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine for me. One for God. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine for me. One for God. Meticulous about that. And yet Jesus said these same people would devour widows' houses. These same people who walked about with their broad uh, borders of their garments, their large phylacteries, who loved to pray on the street corners to be seen of men, long prayers, would go in and take advantage of a widow, maybe her husband recently passed away, who's unfamiliar with business affairs, and take her for everything she's worth. But they can accept Christ, but they won't turn loose. Now, what's the practical application for that? We're, we're, we're human too. The danger for us is, even after we accept Christ, you know, when you come up out of the water, you are a new creature in Christ. But you don't magi- uh, ma- magically and instantaneously lose all of your propensities. And uh, you, Do you think, for example, that someone who's had a problem with drink all of their lives upon being baptized is going to come up out of the baptistry and never, ever again have the single desire or a swallow of liquor. Of course not. It's going to be a period of growth involved. And, and we have ideas and feelings and things, and we need to be careful. Even upon accepting Christ, we don't hold on to those prejudices or whatever it might be that we have. And so, anyway, that, that, that's it. So they rose up, and they made these things, these... Uh, these uh, um, made these statements. And, uh, and of course, the apostles and elders of Jerusalem uh, contended with them about it. And when there had been much question, verse 7, Peter rose up and said unto the brethren, Brethren, you know... So, I fear we're running out of town. You, so he, re, he rehearsed for them, as he had done some years before there in Jerusalem before brethren, what had happened. He he rehearses for them 
what had happened down at the household of Cornelius. God, who knows the heart, uh, bare them witness, giving them the Holy Spirit, even as He did unto us, verse 8. And He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Not by circumcision is one's heart cleansed under the new law, but by faith. And therefore, why make ye a trial of God and that ye should put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which, and this is an interesting statement, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that we shall be saved through the grace of our Lord in like manner as they. And so uh, 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 that was Peter's comments. And... Uh, and uh, it, was, it was a very, very strong uh, argument. But, uh, you know, the Jews, well, let's, let's read verse 12. And all the multitude kept silence, and they all hearkened uh, unto Barnabas and uh, Paul, rehearsing what signs and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles through them. So apparently, when Peter had finished, they called upon Paul and Barnabas, or maybe they just took the initiative themselves, but they rehearsed what God had done with them. And they particularly pointed, the the references made here, rehearsing what signs and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles. What's the purpose of that? Well, do you remember? And when Jesus told the apostles going to send them out, he said in Mark 16, and go into all the world and preach the gospel. You remember? And then he said, and these signs shall follow. They're the truthfulness of their message. You remember, let's always remember, inspiration was in man before it was in the book. They didn't have an Acts 2.38 they could turn to. And so they would go out preaching the truth, and to confirm their word, they would do what? They were able to perform miracles of all kinds. They could speak with tongues, heal the sick, raise the dead, all this. And and, uh, so Paul is saying, Barnabas and I have been preaching among the Gentiles. This gospel, and and they've been believing and obeying, and our word has been confirmed by God through these signs and wonders and so forth. Well, um, then, in verse 13, after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this the word of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who call upon his uh, his name, says the Lord who makes these things known from, uh, from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not tr- uh, trouble those uh, Gentiles who, who have turned to God, but should write to them 
to abstain from things uh, polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from the ancient generations, Moses had uh, in every city those who proclaimed him, uh, for he is read in every synagogue uh, every Sabbath. It seems that James recognized that, that to most Jews, um, recent indications of God's will would not trump the teaching of Old Testament Scripture. In other words, Peter had related what had happened in regard to him and his visiting with the household of Cornelius. Paul and Barnabas had told about there, and that's good and for many people conclusive, but for some Jews, they would still want to know what do the Scriptures say about this. And so James wants to tie up that last loose end. And he's saying, in essence, not only is what Peter said relevant and true, and not only is what Paul and Barnabas experienced relative and true, but I want you to know the Scriptures also speak to this very thing. And he, and he refers back to one particular prophecy talking about the tent of David, how it will be restored and so forth. And, uh, and in particular, how that in, when that happened, it would be an indication that even all the Gentiles upon whom his name is called can seek the Lord. And so he, he, he gives that, he talks, he mentions that prophecy, goes through that. They would all be familiar with that, with that prophecy. Um, and uh, so, so what he's saying is that Christianity is not merely an extension of the law of Moses, but it is, uh, uh, it, it's a new thing, and, it's, uh, and in keeping with Old Testament prophecies, the Gentiles are welcome into this. You may remember, you recall that when uh, the birth of Jesus was announced to Mary, an angel of the Lord said this, The Lord shall give to him the throne, talking about Christ, the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his, of his kingdom there shall be uh, no end. And so the promise, uh, properly understood, is neither a reference to a continuous line of Jewish kings descended from David, nor to a reconstruction of the Jewish, Jewish church, but it is a reference to the perpetual reign of Jesus, who was the seed of David according to the flesh. And so when Christ sat down in, on His throne in heaven, the right hand of God, the tabernacle of David, the tent of David was rebuilt, and now He's saying, by the labors of Peter and Paul and Barnabas, and others, the remainder of Amos' prophecy is being fulfilled as well, that the extension of his kingdom uh, includes the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Um, and so, the uh, uh, speech of James kind of brings the matter to a close. At least for the time being, no one can 
argue this. Now again, there's going to the some didn't capitulate, but most would would understand and, and there 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 came and James had said only that we should let's let's with it, how, so now the question arises, how do we dissimilate this? We we are in agreement. There is unity among us. God has, has, has shown his approval of what has been and is being done. How do we disseminate this, this um, uh, agreement and so that there continue to be peace and, and we can move on in preaching the gospel? So they decided upon a letter. And, and they, they, they do that. And, and maybe we've got time. So it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul. And they sent them with this letter, uh, brothers, the brothers, both the apostles and elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your mind, although we gave them no instruction. So if they had intimated that they were coming with authority from those in Jerusalem, he said, no, we didn't send them out, not to do what they were doing. And it seems good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them uh, to you with uh, Barnabas and Paul, who've risked their lives and so forth. And then in verse uh, 28 and 29, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. These are the, the three great sins of the Gentile world, of the heathen world, were idolatry, fornication, and... Uh, and murder. And, and, and so what they're saying is, and these things that they're reminding them of are not part of the law. These, these are things that anti, that, that were true and, and before the law was given. And that are true, but for that matter, even today. We just want to remind you, to, this is something you should keep in mind. Not a part of the law, but you should abstain from the pollutions of idols. Any, everything in association, not only the worshiping of idols, not only the eating of meat's been sacrificed to idols, but any pollutions associated with idols. And from fornication, you might wonder why those who had accepted the gospel, even though they were Gentiles, would have to be told uh, about these things. Well, Particularly in regard to fornication, well, idolatry too. Remember back when was it a year or two ago? When we were studying Corinthians, and 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 this whole world were the whole world practically were, were idol worshippers, and all these cities had many many temples of idolatry and and so forth. And fornication was such a a, a generally practiced thing that that people who did that were not even considered guilty. They they were innocent, you know. And 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 some religions were built around them. And there were, uh, uh, well, you know about all that. And so, uh, these are the things that you need to uh, to be careful about. Uh, so, 
When they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many people. Judas and Silas, who were prophets, they were New Testament prophets. Prophets, it's true that prophets, New Testament prophets, were foretellers. We are foretellers or teachers, but we're not prophets. We're not prophets. Prophets, New Testament prophets, were inspired men. It's true, like them, we teach, but we're not inspired in our teaching as they were. There is a similarity, but we're not, we're not prophets. And after that, they spent some time and they were sent off to, in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. And Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching, preaching the word of the Lord and, and, and many others. And so, there was this, this uh, in a sense, I guess you'd say victory that Paul and Barnabas had with regard to this matter in that area. It was really a victory of truth over error, over error. And it was particularly important to the people in Antioch because remember, this was largely a Gentile church. And for another reason, in Galatians 2, we learned that they had since, we don't learn this from Acts, but we learned that they had taken Silas with them down there. And that he had been put on, they'd been put under pressure to circumcise him, see? He was a Gentile. So, did you circumcise him, Paul? No. Well, you need to circumcise him. Paul said, no, I'm not. He wouldn't circumcise Titus when they were trying to make a matter of salvation out of it, but later he would circumcise Timothy so that that just removed more barriers. Okay? Nothing wrong with circumcision until you get to the point you make a matter of salvation. In America, mostly we circumcise all male children at, at a young age. Nothing wrong with that, but we don't make it a, a matter of, uh, of, of salvation. And so, I want to make this, and I think I'm not going to I, uh, I want to talk just a minute about how that some, especially the advocates of representative assemblies, have misused this account of this meeting in Jerusalem. Catholics find in that meeting in Jerusalem, they, they believe it to be the first general council. And they refer to it as the Council of Jerusalem, and, and, and it is their authority, they say, for, for similar meetings that they continue to have until this day. Presbyterians find in it the first synod. And others uh, appeal to it in general terms as authority for brethren to get together and decide questions of doctrine. But that's a, a misuse of this, a misunderstanding of it. As we've already said, it was a matter of the church in Antioch, uh, after some had come from uh, Jerusalem, disturbing them with this teaching, wanting to get with those brethren in Jerusalem to see exactly, see if this thing couldn't be put to rest, have a, a general consensus. But the parties to whom they appealed in Jerusalem, here's the key to it, were inspired men. You know when we can have such a meeting today of people to decide what is right and what is wrong? When we can bring inspired men together. 
when will that be? Never. <laughs> because inspiration has, uh, as it was then, has ceased. And so this is, uh, uh, when they could say following that meeting, you remember, and I quote, I believe in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit placed His stamp of approval upon that meeting and the outcome of it. And the reason He could do that was because these were inspired men speaking and, uh, and directing uh, that, that gathering. I knew it. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit. I wanted to talk a little bit. Let me give you some homework. Is this meeting, is this meeting of Acts 15 in Jerusalem, is this meeting the one that is referred to in Galatians chapter 2 that Paul talks about in that epistle and says that in that he says that after this uh, Peter came up to Antioch and I had to withstand him from the, to the face. Is this meeting the one referred to in Acts chapter 2? Um, there are a lot of problems associated with that. As far as I'm concerned, almost any view you take of it. Some say it can't be because if it had been, then Paul would surely have used the letter that Peter was a part of producing and, and would have said something to, in essence, Peter, your actions are contrary to the letter, to the what we decided together down there in the letter. We, we, surely he would have said that. Uh, so strong are some people's view of that that they, they, they say that, that this could not be the time, that it was a, at an earlier time when Peter had, 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 had gone up there. Not in this one mentioned in chapter 15, maybe the one, his trip to Jerusalem in chapter 11. But, and, and I'm at, but look at that. But is there a problem with that? Yes, he would not have participated in the letter at that time, but prior even to that, he had gone to the household of Cornelius and had baptized people there who were uncircumcised and had gone back to his brethren in Jerusalem and had explained to them what he had done and why he had done it. So Peter knew, if for no other reason, because of that experience, he knew God approved of baptizing Gentiles, accepting them into the church without uh, their being circumcised. So there's that issue. Or do we misunderstand what, his, what, his, what he actually did that was wrong there? It, some say it, it, it wasn't. It, some say he didn't. It, it's not said that he told them that they had to be circumcised. That was not his error. He didn't go contrary to what they had decided in Jerusalem. His error was in just dissembling. And he was eating with them, but then when some of the brethren came up from Jerusalem, he pulled away, and it was a matter of fellowship. He just didn't want to, you know. So 
there are a lot of questions. Look, look at all that. Look at all that before next week, and, and that'd be something interesting for you to, uh, to look into, okay? Well, three more Sundays. Will we ever get done? We'll see. Thank you.